Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. If you're visiting with us, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke uh, for this year. Every now and then we just stop and go through one of the Gospels and look at the life and an example of Christ. And uh, so that's where we are. In Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40, is the text for today. Before we get into that, we're going to pray. Let's pray together. Father, we are very grateful because we come to You knowing who we are and what we are and what we've been. But, Father, we're grateful because of what You make us. Lord, we're, we're grateful that You have patience as we strive to grow to be more like Jesus. And we pray, Father, for Your wisdom and, and uh, understanding. And we also pray for Your Spirit who shapes us and molds us to be more like Him from the inside out. And, Father, we just pray that You would guide us in our study this morning, that we can see Jesus, and that as we see Him, that we become like Him. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. So, this morning, Luke chapter 8, and I was thinking, uh, I didn't, usually I'll I'll give people a hint at what it's out at, if they're leading singing, I didn't give Jerry any information, nothing, I gave you nothing, right? (laughs) Zero. Uh, But, good songs. Uh, And then it hit me this morning, uh, while I was setting up the the U version thing, I do that on Sunday morning so that I go back through the outline in my head. And it just kind of gives me a refresher on Sunday morning before we're here. So I was going through that and doing the intro on that. The song uh, that we didn't sing this morning, and I'm not going to lead it now, Oh to Be Like Thee. Uh, it's an old song. Any song with thee in it is old, but probably not as old as you think. There are more these in later songs of people pretending to be English than there are actual English songs with thee, I think. Uh, it's you know kind of like some people, and I'm not... I'm not mocking you in the least uh if you use these and thou's in your prayers i think you probably do that out as a, as a sign of respect and probably something that you learned early on so no criticisms there besides i always figure it, why would somebody criticize a prayer they weren't talking to you right so there's that uh but you know we'll use these and thou's it uses these and thou's and sometimes uh younger people like they look at a song and by younger i might even mean 70 and below they look at a song because boomers are like this that says these, and they want to change it to you, right, real quick. And so we do that. Uh, there's something about that, though, that because of the heart behind it, that I do appreciate the respect and the reverence for God. But it's not a. It's certainly not a. a thus saith. The, that's kind of funny. A thus saith the Lord, because because those words hadn't been invented yet when Jesus walked the earth. They're still newfangled. But the song "Oh to Be Like Thee" it really does have a lot to say. Uh, about the text we're going to look at today. Because the way I want us to approach this is from the vantage point of looking specifically at Jesus. Kind of a Hebrews 13, which we'll look at here in a little while. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, usually when I come to Luke chapter 8, I usually do it all in just one whack, the whole chapter, all 56 verses. And, and so it's kind of just hitting main points and, and the circumstances that are going on. I like it because it shows Jesus putting into practice what He preached in Luke 6 and 7. He becomes the Sermon on the Plain. He becomes the Sermon on the Mount out of Matthew in the flesh, right there, loving those <clears throat> who are considered unlovable, touching those who are untouchable, healing those who were unhealable. He just, one thing after another, he puts into practice the life he's calling us to live and says, no, that's how it's done. And we're, what we're looking at today is very much a part of that, where we're supposed to catch, how did Jesus interact with these people? How did he love them? How did he treat them? Uh, how did he go about the things he was trying to do? And so we're going to look at that, especially this morning. 
Usually when I'm going through, I'm also looking at all those people, though. But today we're kind of not going to look as much at the people. We'll look at them a little. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, because in the end, what, what I think we all want as disciples, the reason we walked down into the water was not just to find forgiveness. It wasn't just a, about uh, a fire sale. It was about seeing Jesus as who He is, as the Son of God. It was about seeing Jesus with the heart He has. God is love. And saying, I want to be a part of that, and I want to be like Him. So this morning, that's what we're looking at. How can we be the way Jesus was here? And uh, don't let this scare you, but I got ten points this morning. Now, it's just a list of ten things. It's not ten points, okay? There's two stories here, so it's a two-pointer with five sub-points each. That's ten points, right? That's what we're doing. Let's read it. Let's dive in. Verse 40. We'll read all this together. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed Him, for they were all expecting Him. And then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Isn't that a funny juxtaposition? The last people we saw Jesus with were those two demon-possessed men, one mentioned in Luke, uh, two mentioned in Mark, where the demon-possessed men are coming to Jesus, throwing themselves down, and the demons are begging that Jesus would go away and leave them alone. Now he comes back the other side of the lake, hits the shore, and he has a man falling at his feet again, this time saying, please come. What a difference that is, isn't it? Because not only did the demons hope Jesus would go away, but so did the townspeople. And they asked him to leave, and and he gave them their wish. So be careful what you wish for. This man comes. Why has he come? He says, uh, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. This is verse 43. Oh, I skipped a little, didn't I? Verse 42. Because his only daughter, a girl about 12 was dying. That's hard to relate to. It's kind of one of those things we don't want to relate to. I know there are people in this room who know this all too well. Maybe not 12. Some of yours were never saw 12. So you understand what he's been through. You know the nights of prayer. You know the nights of loss. And this man is, is first certain that his daughter is dying. There's no question about it. And there's only one person that he thinks can do anything about it. And he doesn't run to pick up a phone and call 911. He doesn't go out to find a doctor. He goes to find Jesus. He's heard about who he is. He knows what he can do. Maybe he's even seen some of it with his own eyes. I don't know. He's had opportunity. He's been in town. He may have. He may know more than we think about who Jesus is and what he can do. And so he goes, runs, and falls down before him. Now, if you, are, if you know that your daughter is likely not to make it through the night, you're in a hurry, aren't you? And uh, years ago, when, uh, when Tanya's brother was in the hospital because his, his uh, pancreatitis was acting up again, and they, Emmett and Pat had called and said, it's, it's not going to be long. We didn't, we didn't decide whether or not we were going. We were going. We lived in New York at the time. Hadn't lived there that long, but we lived in New York. And so what did we do? We jump in the car. I don't know how fast that we drove. I have no idea how fast I was driving in Pennsylvania. I know I don't remember Pennsylvania, if that gives you any hint, except for one thing. Pennsylvania is a toll road state, like Texas is foolishly becoming. Uh, what's my opinion of that? Uh, but they're a toll road state. They're also a really slow speed limit state, so they got two marks against them, right? And we had gone through, drove so fast that when we stopped to pay our toll on the way out, you know, they give you there, they give you the, the punch card because they got union jobs in those toll booths, so they don't go all digital. Uh, they, they 
punch your card on the way in and they punch your card on the way out. She looks at the time punch on my way into Pennsylvania from New York. Oh, she shouldn't have done that. That's just mean. Why would you do that? Just punch the card and give me my toll. It's the same no matter what the speed is. Okay? So just give me that. So she punches the thing, looks at the time, and gives me one of these. And I had to put my glasses back on for you to really get what I got. And she gives me one of these. And then she goes, wait a minute. And I'm thinking, James is going to jail. (laughs) Oh, no. Because she can read this. And any simple math will tell you, you ain't going through Pennsylvania that fast at 55. And I don't know how fast I was going, but it wasn't double 55. So I don't know what the problem was. Everybody else was still in bed. This was early in the morning. Anyway. She gets, she walks out of her booth. I'd never had a toll booth person do this before. She walks out of her booth and she looks at the front of my car. She writes down my license plate. Then she looks at me again. Then she walks up and looks at my VIN number. My VIN number. Just in case my license plate is stolen, I guess. I don't know. Looks through the windshield at that and writes it down and gives me this again. Then she walks back and she looks at the rear license plate. Now that has to just be for effect, right? That's just to see if she can make you really nervous. Because she's already got the number. Maybe she's checking to make sure they match. But she goes back there. Maybe she was looking to see if there was like a turbo thing on the back door. Is it? Ford Windstars aren't supposed to go this fast without braking. I don't know how that's going to work. So anyway, then she comes back. She looks at me again. She doesn't say a word. She just looks at me again through the window and then gets back in her booth. And she punches her thing. And I thought, she's calling the police. And they're over in a building like from here to Alsop's, okay? So the state police could have been there in nothing flat. I wasn't getting away from anywhere. And then she looks at me and goes, that'll be 355. Oh, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Keep the change. So when you're in a hurry, because people are important to you, and you want to get there, and we did make it in time to be able to see him. He did pass, but we were able to, to get there in time and uh, a day or two before. It matters every single second, doesn't it? And even just, I mean, really and truly, I was very nervous that she was about to call the police on us because maybe I was driving that fast. I don't know. And all I could think was, this thing's going to take an hour to get out of, and we don't have it. We don't want to waste an hour. And that's the way you are, right? There aren't extra minutes when somebody you love is in that kind of trouble. And so you're trying to gain every second you can. Or maybe you can gain an hour going through Pennsylvania and an hour through. All I know is we made it from New York to Abilene in 33 hours, was it? 34? 34. 34 hours, which included... No, it was less than that. It was 32 hours, which included a four-hour stop in Little Rock at a hotel because we'd hit a wall and just had to sleep. So we made it in 32 hours, which if you've never done it, that's not supposed to happen, okay? It's not the fastest trip ever. I've made it in 27, but we're not talking about that today. So we'll talk about that when we get to Romans 13 and, 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 and obeying all the laws and all that kind of stuff. And I'll, I'll come right down to this pew. Uh, Luke 8, this guy, if he had a van, he'd have been flying. If he had a van, he wouldn't have been stopped by this crowd. He was ready to go. He wanted Jesus to get to his daughter. And that's not what happened. Jesus is, has said that he'll go. Jesus is on his way. But he's not there yet. And a woman who was there who was subject to bleeding for 12 years, she, uh, but no one could heal her, she came up behind him and touched Jesus's, the edge of his cloak. And immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Like, how, how can you tell somebody touched you? There's people touching you all over the place. But Jesus says, no, someone touched me. 
Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And when the woman, or then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead. Now, I don't know exactly how Jesus felt at that moment. Or not Jesus, Jairus. I don't know how Jairus felt at that moment. I know how I would have felt at that moment. Maybe. Maybe. I know how I feel when I read it. I don't know exactly how I would have felt in the moment. That's what happened. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. It's not worth it. That's what they're saying. It's, it's too late. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Why do you think he said that? I doubt he said it because it wasn't happening. Jairus was afraid. He was afraid that what they were saying might be true. It's too late. And Jesus looks at him and says, You don't be afraid. You just believe. It's not too late. She'll be healed. <clears throat> Verse 51 When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. And so Jesus says, hey, stop wailing. And if you're one of those people, you're thinking, who is this guy? And why on earth would we stop wailing? Don't tell us to stop crying. It's our friend's daughter's death. It's our friend's daughter's funeral. And we're going to cry. So he says, look at this. She's not dead, but asleep. They know dead and they know sleep. Okay? This isn't because they, Jesus thinks that they're just bad at diagnosing what's going on. And they know that. They laugh because they think he's nuts. They think at this point, this poor guy, he doesn't even have a clue what's going on here. Yeah, he does. Verse 53, they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand. And he says, my child, get up. Her spirit returned. And at once... She stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. And her parents were astonished. But He ordered them, now don't you tell anybody about this. I think that was just a tactical thing at the time. It was strategic. At the time, there's still a lot of pressure from the Pharisees. There's a lot of pressure coming in from Jerusalem. There's also pressure from Herod, who has heard things about this Jesus and Messiah and is insecure in his own place. And so there's some threats coming from Herod and John the Baptist, you know, prison, beheading, all of that stuff. And so there's just a lot going on. And so it's better that Jesus works under the radar. And so he tells them, you just keep this under your hat for now. They'll get a chance to talk about it later. But right now, you just keep it to yourself. That doesn't work, but that's what he asks them to do. In all of this, we see a lot about the character of Jesus. We see a lot about how much he cares for people and what he can do. And let's, let's look at these uh, kind of verse by verse. It's not every verse, but all of them. At the very beginning, he comes back, he hits the shore. And as soon as he hits the shore, there are people there waiting for him that need him. And Jairus is one of them. He's not the only one, but he's one of them. And Jesus, we find very quickly, is all about his mission as the, as the Messiah and the Son of God, all about the work of spreading the Word of God and showing what God can do. So as soon as he hits the shore, he doesn't say, you've got to be kidding me again, because he already left this shore once, because why? He had already been overcrowded, and so he goes and he leaves, hoping to get a little bit of quiet time. Did that work? No. But he didn't shrink away from that responsibility either. He heals the man, or the men, as we see in another account of it. He heals the two men of all their demons without even batting an eye. 
And then he gets back on the boat, goes back to the other side, hits the shore, and is ready to do it again. No matter how tired, no matter how busy, no matter how anything, Jesus was always... These people were His priority and the mission of God was His priority. Over and over again, He was a man who was on mission. And, and we, as children of God, have been given the same mission, haven't we? To go and declare the Word of God and salvation of God, that this is the day of salvation, that people can find forgiveness, they can find grace, they can find strength, they can find healing, they can find freedom. This is our job. And it doesn't start on Sunday morning and it doesn't end on Sunday afternoon. This is 24-7, 365. This is who we signed up to be, isn't it? We weren't baptized just into Acts 2.38. We were baptized into Matthew 28.18-20. We were baptized into being great commissioned people. When we go down and the old man or the old woman dies and the new man and the new woman rises, we rise, disciples of Jesus Christ, on mission, ready to go before the waters even dried off. And you say, well, I didn't know anything when I was baptized. Or I don't know anything since I've been baptized. Yeah, you do. You know why you were. That's already everything you need to know to go spread the Word that Jesus saves. If you know enough to be saved, you know enough to save. Jesus never shrunk from that mission. And so it, every time His feet hit the ground, He was ready to go. And He was ready to teach. And He was ready to love. And He was ready to serve. And so... This doesn't surprise him because that's actually what he's there for, isn't it? Isn't that why he went ahead and dealt with that man from the cemetery as soon as he hit the ground? That's what he was really there for, wasn't it? Rest? Yeah, I'm sure he loved a good nap. Of course, he got one in the boat. The disciples were the ones who didn't. They were the ones unprepared. But ready to hit the ground running every single day. God's going to probably give you a a tomorrow. If he does, hit the ground running because you've got your mission. You'd be like Jesus. Second was his heart of compassion. And I put compassion and ready to serve here together for a reason. Look back at verse 42. <clears throat> this happens all over the Gospels, but it happens right here in our story. In verse, well, I'm going to read 41. A man named Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, came, fell at Jesus' feet, pleading that he would come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way. Those are the next words. Where did Jesus decide to go and do something about it? I mean, in, in the pause between, between paragraphs, that's it. A guy comes, he asks, Jesus can do something about it. He feels compassion for the father. He has compassion on the mother and compassion on this girl and all this family that's weeping and wailing. And that compassion, as it always is with Jesus, went directly into action. Uh, I don't know if you saw this story passed around this week. Uh, I forget where I saw it. I think it was actually maybe maybe it was the fire department's Facebook page. Somebody shared it. But because of all of the the uh, storms and everything, and you know, all, grass is really high. That's good if you're if you're trying to bale hay, right? You, if you can get the ground dry enough to get your tractor out there. Some people have that problem. But lots of hay this year. Well, there was a guy who had some hay that needed to come in from the field. Unfortunately, his house barn burned. I don't know if you read the story. So a guy here in town who does uh, making hay for a living just snuck into his property. He woke, this guy woke up one morning. Here's tractor out in the land. Or no, no, no. A neighbor had to tell him. He didn't even hear it. Neighbor had to tell him. Neighbor is out there in his field baling hay. Isn't that this? Gospel comes out in a lot of ways. I don't know for sure if the guy on the tractor was a Christian, but I'd bet you the coffee and donuts in the hallway he is. 
He's learned something from Jesus. That's the way life is as a disciple, isn't it? And the gospel comes out in lots of ways. You say, well, I don't even know sometimes how that's supposed to work. I wasn't born a missionary. Well, that actually isn't true. You were born a missionary, but maybe not the missionary you think you were born as. Maybe you're beating yourself up because you're not the same kind of missionary as someone else. Everyone who came out of the water was born a missionary. You've got a field. and You've got something to do in it. You've got people to help. And it may be that you go and you bail hay for somebody. It may be that you go out and help somebody uh, clean up after the fire. It may be that you go and you take a meal to somebody. Again, if you can, I'm going to do another plug. If you want to help Beverly and call Ray with meals, go see Sheila. It may be that you want to do that. Folks, that's being a missionary. When I was first going into AIM, I remember we ran into a relative at the grocery store in San Angelo. This was so far back, it was the first grocery store in Southwest Plaza. If you're familiar with San Angelo, you'd have to be old to remember that. That's back when you still buy guns at the grocery store. That's how long ago this was, when the grocery store had guns and layaway. Isn't that a weird thought now? That's just so different. Uh, but that's where we were. And we were in the produce section, and I was with my mom, and this lady stopped, and she was you know, asking me about AIM and stuff like that. And she says, now, do girls go to this program too? I don't know why she was asking it. And I said, yes, they do. And she said, well, what do girls do? Go over to another country and bake cookies? Yeah, because that's what missionary... My Lord Jesus Christ, come help us. This is what she actually thought, okay? I guess they go to other countries and bake cookies. That says more about our culture than any culture around the world. No, they go and they're Jesus to people. They teach people about Jesus. And they may do that in a lot of different ways. But let me tell you something. Here's a secret missionaries that go to foreign countries know. Your wife, your sister in Christ, those other people on your mission team that are women are absolutely invaluable and they are a part of why God sends them into mission, into mission teams is because God knows behind every good missionary is a good female missionary, right? Just like in church, you thought I was going to just say a good woman. No, because she's a missionary too. We lose that somehow in the States. I don't know why that is. But they are absolutely vital. And so she asked that question, well, what are you going to do? They're going to do this. They go with compassion and they serve just like everybody else. Just like everybody else. Jesus did this. Never underestimate what you can do with Christ. That's the key, isn't it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we think sometimes that only means we can get through rehab and physical therapy. That's applicable. But it's also when you get nervous about how could I reach my neighbor for Christ. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Are you going to do it? That's the question. Jesus his compassion always turned into action every time. There's just the, the pause of a typewriter is all there is between the man comes and says, I need you to come heal my daughter, and as Jesus was on his way. Isn't that incredible? There's no decision. There's no, did you notice there was no meeting? Where's the deacons meeting in verse 41? There's no deacons meeting. There's no elders meeting. There's no any meeting. You know what there is? There is. Here's a need. Let's go do it. And so Jesus is on his way. The disciples learn this from him. Because later when you see them in ministry, it's the same thing. Book of Acts, very up in, up in the very beginning, you got Peter at the temple. What happens? Guy says to him, hey, brother, <laughs> I have in living color in my head, okay? I haven't done a cartoon at all today, so I'm going to do in living color instead. In living color, my favorite sketch of theirs was Shakespeare in the Park by this recurring character they had on the show who was, who was an interesting character. Uh, and he says, he's doing Shakespeare in the park, and he'd get out his hat and he'd say, Friends, Romans, and countrymen, lend me a dollar! Like that. 
Well, that's kind of how this guy is at the temple. He says, hey, lend me a dollar. I need a dollar. And because why? That's how he, that's the only way he got by. There was no uh, Americans with Disabilities Act in first century Jerusalem. It didn't exist. You, you survived by the generosity of your brothers and sisters in the faith. And so he's there begging. And Peter comes up to him and says, listen, and, and after he asks Peter and, and John for money, this is what happens. Peter says, listen, silver and gold I do not have. Is that an excuse? It is not. That is Peter saying, just like it says here in verse 42, he heard the need and as they were on the way. Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he does. Where did Peter learn that? Where did Peter learn that he didn't have to stop and have five hours of meetings about how to handle this guy? Where did he learn not to call somebody to try and get this guy removed from the doorway to the temple? Where did he learn that? It's Jesus. Turned right into action. Well, this turns into double action. What we have here is another need comes up. And so, verse 42 second half, as Jesus was on His way, the crowds almost crushed Him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. And you can imagine what her life is like a little. I don't know what 12 years of hemorrhaging would do to you. I know you would be extreme fatigue, all kinds of immune problems, energy problems. I think it would just be miserable and depressing. And on top of that, she has tried and tried and tried find doctors that can fix her. And all they've done is make it worse and now she's broke and sicker than when she started. And maybe some of you know what that's like because that still happens. And she knows about Jesus. She's heard about Jesus. I think she's read Malachi chapter 4 because in Malachi chapter 4 it talks about how the Son of Righteousness will shine and that when He comes He will have healing in His wings. You say, wings? What's that got to do with Jesus going through a crowd? Well, maybe you've heard this before. If, if so... You're going to get a reminder. If you haven't, this is pretty cool. You see in the picture here, what she's, it's, it's kind of fuzzy, but what she's grabbing at, you know, the, the shawl, that cloak that they would wear about them, the Jewish men, was white with the blue stripes. Uh, it's described back in the Old Testament how that's supposed to be. And so they would wear them, and it was, it was part of their prayer life and their daily life. It identified them as children of God, sons of God. And the word... For this little edge over here, this seam, is the same word also translated sometimes as wings. The hem of that garment was called the wings. When the Son of Righteousness comes, there will be healing in His wings, Malachi 4. And she goes and she grabs. And do you know the language shows us where does she grab the wing of His cloak? And she's healed instantly. She is healed and she stops the bleeding stops. And I think healed here is not like it stops and over the next three weeks she got better. I mean, it's she immediately, the bleeding stops. Energy she hasn't had in 12 years, she now has. But she's also kind of, kind of embarrassed. She's kind of like some of you that, you know, you kind of you sneak in in the back and you hope nobody says hello. You get back there, you sit down in the back row, and man, as soon as that bell, we don't have a bell, do we? Closing prayer, amen, is like a school bell, and you, out of there, right? So she's like that. She doesn't want the attention. She doesn't, and that, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Uh, she's, she doesn't want the attention. She doesn't want it to be about her. She has gotten what she came for, and she is glad. She may also be a little bit embarrassed because she has broken a lot of rules. She's broken a lot of rules. She's not supposed to be around any of these people. If you are bleeding and hemorrhaging, you are ceremonially, religiously unclean. 
You're not supposed to come into Jerusalem. You should not be there. You should not be where she is. Uh, you can't go to the temple. You can't go to the synagogue. You can't be around people who are still clean. You, are, you live a pretty much isolated time until that stops, but hers hasn't stopped for 12 years. She's lost a lot more than just energy and health. She's lost immeasurably more until she's just gotten it back. She broke the rules to get in there because that's how, faith, how strong her faith really was. And Jesus honors that faith because He loves her. And that's because of this third thing. He's aware of other people. And I don't just mean aware like when He says, hey, who touched me? That's part of it. We can get so busy and we can even get busy on things we think are our mission but aren't really or aren't as high in importance a part of our mission. We can be more concerned about the cleanness of the floors than we are about people. We talked a little bit about that last week. We can miss the point of our own mission. Jesus didn't. His mission was others. He wanted to love his neighbor as himself. And that means putting them higher sometimes, even than what you might think at the moment is your mission. At his moment, he's going to something that is incredibly important. Jairus' daughter is dying. And it, to Jairus, this may have felt a little bit like the toll booth lady holding him up because he was getting there too fast. And Jairus may be sitting there thinking, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, my daughter is dying. And Jesus still cares about this woman. The disciples are saying, listen, it's too crowded here. Who even cares who touched you? Let's keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. Nobody knows who touched you. And Jesus says it again. No, somebody touched me. And the power went out from me. That's because Jesus is a man of the Spirit. He knows when the power has gone out from Him. He knows when God is working through Him. And He knows when the Spirit has set a priority that may go above what He thought was the momentary priority. There are times when the Spirit will, will convict you of a need. Do not ignore it. We're warned against quenching the Spirit. When we know there's a need and there's something that needs to be done, and we go, well, but you know, that wasn't what I had planned today. So, this wasn't what Jesus had planned today either. It wasn't what Jairus had planned that day. It wasn't what the disciples had planned that day. They were on their way to Jairus' house, which itself was unplanned. Doesn't matter. Jesus says, I know that somebody touched me. And I know that the Spirit has just healed them because the power has gone out through me. And Jesus' power in the Incarnation, Scripture tells us, was by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, a man of others and a man of the Spirit, wants to stop and let that testimony be heard. Let that story be heard because that mattered too. Because that was a part of His compassion toward her and a part of His mission. All these things flow together. It's an integrity of the heart that we see in Jesus. He can't be a man on mission and not be a man of compassion because part of His mission is compassion. He can't be a man of compassion and ignore the woman who's just touched his cloak. And he's not going to acknowledge that without acknowledging the work of God that has just happened. So he says, who touched me? I felt power come out in the lady. I don't know if she's still down low like this or if she had gotten up and was trying to make her way back out of the crowd. But she stops in her tracks, turns around and says, it was me. I touched you. When I did, I was healed. And she tells her story right then of what had happened right then and how God had worked. There's a little bonus lesson for you for how to be a disciple of Jesus, isn't it? When God does something, you give Him the praise He deserves and tell people about it because that's a part of how we fulfill our mission. And so that's what she does. Jesus blesses her. And I don't think that's unimportant either. Jesus blesses her and says, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. It mattered to Jesus that He said that. 
He could have gone on. He didn't have to stop. He didn't have to address her. He didn't have to hear her story. He already probably by providence knew all of this stuff, right? He wants her story told to the people. He wants them to see God at work because that's why those things happen in the first place is to show the glory of God. But he also wants to encourage her. He wants her to know, listen, I know you snuck in here. I know you broke a rule, but your faith has healed you. And I want you to go with the peace of God. It's that same Hebrew word of shalom. A peace that passes understanding. A peace that comes as the result of being blessed by God, Yahweh Himself. He says to her, Shalom. It's God who healed you. God who is creating this peace and energy in you now. You go in peace. He was an encourager. We need to take the time to be those kind of people. If we're going to be like Jesus and have a heart like His, all of the above, and take the time to encourage and to speak a word of peace to people because we need that, don't we? We need it to get through a day, to get through a week, to get through a moment sometime. He also was a man of his word. As all of that situation clears up, what does he start to do? Well, he's got people saying she's already died, but he's a man on mission. And he says, no, Jairus, don't you worry. You just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And keeps going until he gets to the house and raises the daughter because he keeps his word. And a man or a woman of God... Somebody who keeps their word. You say you're going to serve. You say you're going to help. You say you're going to love on somebody and encourage them. Do it. I know we all struggle with that sometimes. But if we're going to be like Jesus, this is it. He was a man of hope. He spoke to Jairus. You know that those, you got to know, those words when they heard, when they struck Jairus' heart had to be incredible because the words he had heard just before. Don't bother him anymore. It's too late. But you went to Jesus because you knew he could do more than anybody else could do. Jairus went to Jesus because he had dealt with the questions that we've asked ourselves. What can man do? Nothing. What could Jesus do? We've seen him raise the dead. We've seen him heal the sick. We've seen him bring sight back to the blind. We've seen him make the deaf man hear and the lame walk. He just needed to be reminded, Jairus, I'm still the guy that you heard could help. It's going to be all right. That's who he is. And that's who we ought to be. Reminding people, listen, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how bad the news, we are going to be here with you. We're going to walk through this with you. We are going to petition the Lord with you. And we give encouragement and hope to people as we do because we have a different perspective. Life and death. He goes into the house and he tells them, you know, don't be, don't be afraid because, you know, she's really not even dead. She's just asleep. And they all laugh. And maybe some of you would laugh too. Uh, I, I don't know. I, the reaction there, if I didn't believe uh, what Jesus is saying, might not be laughter. It might be anger. It might be frustration. Don't come in here mocking me with your mumbo-jumbo. We might be upset. Whatever feelings we'd have, they're based on our perspective. And our perspective of life and death is not the perspective of God naturally. Naturally. You may at this point in your walk with Christ have adopted the perspective of God. You may now hold the view that God has shared with you. But we weren't born into that view. Our, our, our culture and our raising is that, is that life ends when we die. And when you're dead, you're dead all over just like Rover. You know, it just nothing is left. If you have a Christian perspective, you may have, well, you know, we're dead and nothing matters and someday we're going to be raised again. But who knows whether we're there, here, where, and we have more questions maybe than answers or understanding. Jesus just has a different understanding, doesn't he? That is why Jesus can say, I think it's ready for this child to come home. When we would say, it's ready for this child, this mother, this father, this husband, this wife, 
this friend, when we would beg that it's wrong unless the person lives longer, Jesus of a different perspective can say, actually, their best life and their best moment still lies ahead. And he can make that call. Or he can make this call. It's why there are times when we would think that it might be time for somebody to go. And yet God says, no, actually, I've still got some things to do with this person. And life is mine to give. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. What's the next phrase? You remember? Blessed be the Lord. Not the Lord decides whether you live or die. And he better do what I want. No, the Lord decides and blessed be the Lord because his wisdom is higher His understanding is greater. He knows what they would have gone through if they are raised or they are raised to the next life. He knows. And Jesus knows. That perspective actually comes out in His speech because He believes it. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so out of the overflow of Jesus' heart is, she's still alive. You don't see her. I see her. She's still alive. She actually is having a good time. She might be mad at you when she comes back for stealing that from her, but she's still alive. That was one of my teachers at Sunset. When he had, Richard Rogers, when he had heart sur- open heart surgery, he woke up. He cussed out the doctor. Preacher cussing out the doctor. He said that about himself. He said, I cussed out that doctor. And when he said it, I thought, I think he might still be a little upset. He cussed out the doctor and said, Hey, I was this close to seeing Jesus. What in the world did you bring me back here for? He was upset. He was mad. And he, he said it took a while. Not to be mad at that doctor, but he came to peace with the fact that if I'm here, it's because, verse 53, it's because God wants me here. God has something to do with me here. It's really because God said, Richard, get up and recover, just like he said to this daughter, get up and walk. Isn't that incredible? God knows, and we need to trust him with what he knows and when he knows it and, and how he applies it at the time because it is the Lord who gives and the Lord who takes, and sometimes the Lord even gives back. Whatever the case... Blessed be the Lord. He's a man of authority because he is the Lord, right? He is God. We might say, okay, well, that's different. How am I supposed to do that one? I can have the perspective. I can give people hope. I can encourage people, love people, have compassion. How am I supposed to be a person of authority? Well, we're not, okay? We're really not. But who do we serve? Go, go back to your mission. What's your mission? Matthew 28, 18 to 20. How does it begin? I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Right? The Jesus who lives in you, the Christ in you, Colossians says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is all the authority you'll ever need. You can speak life to people. I'm not talking about raising people from the dead. But you can speak the gospel to people. And what does that do? When a person hears the gospel from your lips and goes and is baptized into Christ and raised in Christ, what have you just done? That's a better way than we usually hear that sentence, right? Usually we hear, what have you just done? Husbands, it comes from your wives, doesn't it? What have you just done? Well, in this case, you've spoken with the authority of the gospel into somebody's life and shown them the way home. Speak with authority. Speak the gospel. Don't be afraid. Go into a room full of people who are still in the darkness and don't understand. Who laugh when you talk about life after death. Who laugh when you say that there is forgiveness in Christ. Who laugh when you say that He was buried and on the third day rose again. You speak with the authority of Christ and the authority of the Scriptures, truth, life, and the gospel to that room. That's why God puts you. And you're going to be a man or a woman who speaks in the authority of Christ. He could do this, raised to life, because He was the Son of God. What are you? What are you? Sons and daughters of God, aren't you? 
adopted into His family, given every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, you are children of God, workers in the field empowered by the Spirit because that's what He's chosen for you to be. In 1 John 1, or verse John 3, verse 1, it says how great the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Just, just being called children of God, how great is the love that He has lavished on us. In Hebrews, he says it again in a way. <clears throat> Let me find my spot here. Verse, chapter 12, in verse 1, I'm going to start at. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, well, let us do what? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the rate mark, race marked out for us. That's the first five things, wasn't it? That was the first list. You're a person on mission. There's people out there who need you. Go do it. How do we stick to that? Here's what he says. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Look at the one of whom you are a disciple. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why could He sit down at the right hand of the throne of God? Because He had lived a life in the flesh, on earth, with a mission. And He did not sit down at the right hand of God until he could, after He had said, It is finished. It is finished. I've done everything that you called me to do. He says that basically in John 17 in his prayer just before the cross. God, I've, I've, I've done what you called me to do. And he prays in that prayer for you, for your mission, for your becoming this kind of a disciple of Jesus Christ who is compassionate, mission-minded, cares about others, carries with you a perspective on life and death and truth and the gospel that people will find nowhere else but that will save their soul. This morning we ask always that you give Jesus a chance. That you, like Jairus, seek Him out. Even if it's got to be like the woman who was up there earlier. If you've got to crawl up there to Him and try and sneak in and catch the hem of His garment because you think, I'm too unclean, I don't, whatever. It doesn't matter. He's going to respond to you the same way He responded to her. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He calls us to be a community that prays together. And so we're going to pray together if you want us to pray for you. We'll do that. Or you can... Grab an elder, go to the back and pray in private. That's fine. No problem. What we want you to do is to take advantage of the opportunity for the Spirit to work in you that way. We also always give this invitation. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, a man who walked with this man and became in his life a man like him, stood before a crowd and remembered his mission. And through the Spirit said to that crowd that if you will repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven and you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. He says this promise is for you, for all those who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. And the God of heaven calls you into peace, into forgiveness, into healing this morning. If it's your moment and your day, I encourage you to come as we stand and as we sing. <clears throat>